Welcome to the Rajkset Show, number one podcast in Dubai. If you're looking on the screen right now, you'll see some of the cool things we talked about in this episode, including the fact that I've been in the UK for the last week and what's been going on, including the first 48 hours of crazy town in Manchester. I go back to my roots. I go to Old Trafford, go to see Russell Peters at the Apollo and go to a dance hall event with the greatest DJ of all time, starting from scratch. You'll hear all about that in super detail. In terms of news, we're talking about Andreessen Horowitz releasing 4.5 billion dollars worth of accessible funds if you're in web three instagram changing its layout and it's terrible we'll talk about why jack dorsey steps down from the board of twitter and a famous whistleblower from facebook that released thousands and thousands of documents to the government just snitching on them basically is now writing up a story on changes in the european law where some of these social media networks will have to start revealing what's going on with their algorithm. It's happening in Europe. Will it happen elsewhere? You'll hear our thoughts on that. Content recommendations include a re-release from Eminem and some hot fire coming out of Tom Cruise's camp. He's got a new movie coming out next year. We'll talk about the trailer. Uh, joining me on the show, as always, is Vic. How's it going? Good. And he's, uh, he's officially standing and swimming. He's back. Crutchless. Alex. What's up? How are you feeling? Crutchless. Yeah. (laughs) Don't. Alex is no longer touching his crutch every morning to go to the bathroom. He is crutchless. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, 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 yeah, it's a good show, guys. How long was it? An hour and how long can people expect to be on? An hour and 15. An hour and 15. Yeah. Okay. Well, no edits, hopefully, all being well. And if we can, if we've got the time, we're going to throw in some, uh, some little images as well. If you're watching on Spotify and YouTube, if you are, give us a five star rating on spotify and to subscribe on youtube those youtube numbers are going up we super appreciate it likes and comments are also appreciated and hit the notification bell so you get these episodes first we're good to go we're good alex run the music all right across two continents here we are the first ever Remote recording of the Rush Catcher show. I hope everyone's doing super well. Who's okay. listening in and is, uh, or whoever's listening in, and Vic as well. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, we, we spent a little bit of time today uh, trying to figure out the audio quality and the kind of back and forth and how we're going to do it. So if you're listening, I hope you can uh, bear with us on this first one because it is going to be the way that we're going to be recording for the next two or three episodes. Because as mentioned, I am in London, England. I've been here for a week now in the united kingdom uh or just you know approaching a week and uh it's been quite an adventure so we're gonna probably start there as opposed but actually let's start where we normally start let's start with uh, out and about in dubai and just see where the guys have been because i've not been around for the last seven days uh vic where have you where have you touched down in dubai yeah so um what, I, what i've quickly realized is that if you're not in the country raj i've pretty much got no social life so <laughs> i've actually not been anywhere in dubai this week but it's been good because I've exchanged the time that we're always out just to spend time at home with the family, obviously working and stuff. But it's been good to spend a bit more time with uh, Shayla and Ine and, you know, actually have dinner at home on more than, uh, you know, one night a week. So, yeah, it's been quite a chilled one, actually. It's been nice. Nice. What about you, Alex? How's the leg coming um, on? Legs are doing good. I went to the doctor in Abu Dhabi last weekend. All good news. Um, should be where, like, I am where I should be a month and three weeks after surgery so that's good news and then what else did i do in abu dhabi i went to emirates oh. palace with some friends mm. oh nice so to explain explain to folks what emirates palace is because i've never emirates been in palace. but i know it's like one of the shining stars of abu dhabi 
I think, wait, which one is it? Is it Burj Al Arab that's a seven star or is it also Emirates Palace? Yes, yes, Burj Al Arab yeah. is seven stars. Is Emirates Palace also though? I have to assume so. I don't know, but I have to yeah, okay. So. Well, either way, it's I would say one of the top three hotels in the UAE, probably. Uh, it's really beautiful, and um, yeah. So I just went uh, the pool there for the day with some of my friends. Had a good time. Is it nice? I hadn't been in the sun in ages, so it's nice. Yo, nice. Did we able to swim? Yeah, 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 swimming no problem. I swim every day for physio anyway. Okay, so that's no problem. You forgot the most crucial bit of information about your leg, Raj. He's off his crutches. Oh, oh huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's good news. Yeah, I saw, it feels good. I saw in the group chat that you were at a video shoot for CCA and mm-hmm. you had no crutches. So how was that? How was it, it was like? Was good. it more difficult holding the camera and stuff? Um, holding the camera is no issue. I just feel like I end up putting more weight on my left leg because my right leg is injured. So like I'll get more tired standing for like a long period of time. Mm. Nice. Okay. Well, that's it. You were both yeah. cursed to a boring week in Dubai. <laughs> so tell, uh, us, tell us about, tell us about shiny old UK. You've not been there for some time now, now three years, right? Yeah. Last time I came was July, uh, 2019. It was a, a very different world right then. Even the COVID conversation had even started at that point. And I just came to, I came to, I stayed in central London a few nights then. Um, but, you know, it's just, it was like every other trip pre, pre-COVID, which was just like, come to the UK two, three times a year, bit of time here, bit of time there, never enough time. Um, but this time I've come, I've been here for a week already. So after we wrapped Algo last week, uh, the Friday, the after, Friday after Friday after we recorded, jumped on a flight at 2.30, came to Manchester. So the thought process behind Manchester, essentially, and we'll talk through each each one of these things because they were all exceptional, was that if I could get to Manchester by the Saturday, there was a stack of interesting events for me to hit. The first one being around two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, I was invited to watch a football match by a friend of mine, Mikhail Sylvester, who used to play for Manchester United on the, the main team uh, back in 99 to 2008, I think he said. And he, uh, I was up with, you know, last week we mentioned on the podcast, Spencer Lodge's cool dinner. So Spencer's the dude that introduced me to Mikhail. And even though I don't know about football, Mikhail is like a, a hip hop head. He's like a, a music cat. So we became friends over some music stuff. And then obviously he came to the birthday last week, uh, sorry, last year yeah. in Dubai. And we've just been cool ever since. And then uh, him and his wife, big up to his wife, Sev, she was like, yo, you know, why don't you come through and watch this football match? I was like, all right, well, I've not really seen football since 19 in fact so not only that i've not seen football since i always tell people 1989 it's actually 1991 so for those that are listening who don't know i grew up in salford which is near old trafford uh football stadium and my head teacher when i was at primary school his son used to play for manchester united his son was called ben thornley my head teacher was called phil thornley hopefully he's he's still around and moving and grooving so we were a manchester united school and alex ferguson used to come to our school and give out good attendance awards and like players would be around and it was, uh, it was dope. So, you know, our school trips was at Old Trafford, but again, I never really got into football mm-hmm. and it wasn't always like playing part of enjoying football is going out after school and playing it. Right. So I never used to be outside when I was a kid, cause it wasn't always like the safest. So, you know, it's been, it'd probably been 20 from 91 to now 30 years. Yeah. 30 odd years since I've been to Old Trafford. So anyway, he said, calm down. So like you do, you're like, yeah, you know what I might do. I might, you know, yeah. you never know. You just to be polite and that. And then I realized, I was like, hang on a second, that could be a dope experience. And 
then on top of that, Russell was performing at Manchester Apollo. Yeah. And Manchester Apollo also holds a special place in my heart because in 97, that's when I went to watch the uh, 96 or 97. I went to, I went to my first ever concert, my first ever rap show, mm. which was the Fugees supported by Nas. Wow. And when I was clearing out my uh, uh, garage, which is a whole other bit for the podcast, I actually found the dog tags, the original Fuji's 1996 dog tags, which I bought as merch. And, um, and that was the time that I actually kissed Lauren Hill's hand and Russell, Russell had a picture of Lauren on that tour. Russell went on that tour too really? in Toronto. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, so he was on the same, the same tour as you. As he, he attended, tour. he attended as a guest, yeah, but he was, yeah, he was yeah, backstage. Yeah. He, had, he had connections and stuff in yeah. those days. So, um, and he would have been 10 years older than me. So he'd have been 27. So he was moving around with like hip hop cats in those days. He showed me the picture on his phone. It was wild with Lauren looking at Lauren's peak beauty lasted for maybe more than 10 years. I mean, she's always, a, she's always going to be a beautiful woman, but like, you know, like goddess level, yeah. like that would have been like from nappy heads Nin- yeah. to 90, way after the first album. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All the way through. Yeah, all the way through to past miseducation, but there was a white hot space in the middle. The score when she had the long dreads. Um, anyway, so she, she, uh, that was dope. And then, um, and then after that, Manchester Academy, which is a place that I used to go to as a student, it's the Manchester Students Union. Uh, and I used to like, I used to hustle outside there because people would come out of there and I'd hand out flyers, sell tickets, mm. uh, put up posters, all that kind of stuff. And uh, starting from scratch, who. Many of you know as Russell Peters DJ, but many of you know that I've introduced to as basically the greatest DJ of all time, in my opinion, uh, was performing there at a dance hall jam. So I was like, hang on a second. I can go to Manchester United. I can watch this football match. It's my friend playing. So I get to sit in like the nice seats with his family. So I'm not like in the crowds and whatnot. And then after that, go to Russell's show. And because I was rolling solo, uh, Russell's show it wasn't like when we all move around together we all go and take our seats mm-hmm. and then link up afterwards I just literally went up to the dressing room because one of the one of the crew I think it was uh Q was at the side and he goes and I seen him I was like yo Q what's up and then went and sat with Russell for a bit and uh apparently like Scratch didn't he wasn't like you know artists are artists right apparently he wasn't super keen on his Wembley performance like his Wembley set mm-hmm. And me, Russell and Clayton were sat backstage watching uh, Scratch. And, you know, they have a live video feed going into the green room Mm -hmm. of what's going on on stage. Bro, starting from scratch, did a revenge set. He DJed. He DJed like he wanted blood. Like he was so incredible. He did this one mix, which was Gwen Stefani. You know that It's My Shit song that she did with Pharrell? Yeah. Um, mixed in with that Shea Baby uh, Afrobeat song with the whistle. What? Not Afrobeat. Um, what do they call it? Um, what's that sound coming out of Africa right now? Not Afrobeat. Um, I don't know the name of the sound, but I know what you're talking about. I know the record. Yeah, g- 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 we've got we've got to get the genre right. We're DJs. We're uh, it's um, I'm a piano. I'm a piano. That big I'm a piano record. So I mean, he was just like starting from scratch, was on a different level, and uh, for two seconds, just for two seconds. When I went there, uh, Q was like, yo, you can go on the podium if you want. So I stood on the podium at the Apollo with Scratch. I kept my, I stayed, I stayed low to be respectful because I didn't want anybody else yeah. to see me there. But like I took some video footage and um, yo, bro, it's just incredible. Like, bro, he's the greatest of all time. Without, I just, without a doubt. I've never seen any, I've just, he's not a human being and he's still not aware. You know, you talk to him and he's still like, he's still not aware of his talent level. 
he's just for him he's just he's just doing his job but like even at this dance hall there was this dance so check this out i know we're moving around and we'll deep dive in each one of these but like at the dance hall jam obviously like it was you know it was it was you know regular people it wasn't a fancy jam it was at the academy and it was basically like you know people from every every neighborhood like not every neighborhood you know the streets like it was like the lovers of this music yeah and um I'm, i'm filming i'm filming there's this one cat dude and he he looks at the camera whilst i'm filming and he goes like this he, so for those of you not watching the video he starts cutting across his neck with his hand palm open like cut it off so i'm like oh this guy's not trying to be on camera because it's, it's one of those kind of rooms and uh and i was like yo yo sorry man don't worry about it i'll get rid of it you know what i mean i didn't want no no drama he goes no no he goes tell the dj to stop he goes i can't handle it he goes, this is just too much. What? Yeah. He was just like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's how good scratch was. I mean, there, there was some stuff that he did. He played, um, he played like he played debage and stuff like that. And that might've been a little bit too sophisticated for Manchester, but like, I mean, overall he just murdered it. And plus he had a dancehall DJ with him from two dancehall DJs from Manchester, um, someone from Montreal and someone from Brooklyn. So it was like a international sound. Amazing. And, um, and then I went to the green room. And I was with the Manchester guys and, you know, we just like, just like, just kind of like gave each other our references and stuff. And yeah, they knew all the guys that I knew. And we, we all kind of like, we moved around at the same time. We, we both did the student circuit, but in the student circuit, there was two types of guys that were on the scene promoting parties. There was the students that came up with their own parties mm-hmm. and you needed to be, you needed to have like a certain amount of like balls to do that or a certain amount of like, um, you know, back in or protection. And then you had the street guys. So they were the street guys and they did their own parties as well. And everybody loved music. It's just that they came from the pirate music scene. Um, and we came from just student student halls. So, um, so yeah, like we, we chopped it up and we, we knew a lot of the same guys and it was really, really good. And we all had memories of those days. They just stayed in it. So the 25 years mm-hmm. since I've been moving around the world, doing what I do, they stayed in Manchester and continued to build their sounds and did parties and stuff like that. So um yeah that was good and then uh the russell show i mean russell let, let's move backwards so that was the dance hall jam murdered it and also shout out to alingon mitra who came out mm, uh yeah. I, I, so yeah let's well, let's this is weird let's work backwards so prior to going to the dance hall show we uh me and alingon went for a drink with some of the crew and we hit up a couple of places in manchester uh play, first place was called uh, albert schloss and i want to give a shout out to the manager who saw us there um, let me get up Alingon's, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, WhatsApp here. Cause he sent me the guy's name. I think his name was James, James plant, who is the, uh, innovation manager at Albert Schloss. If you go to Manchester, you have to go to this place, Albert Schloss. It is like a cabaret. It's all drag, gay, disco live band. Um, but the vibe is just incredible. And then mm-hmm. prior to that, we went to um, a place called Peaky Blinders, which was a prohibition yeah. thing. And honestly, Vic, I know you're not going to have time on this schedule, but uh, you, you have to check out Manchester. From everything that you've been telling us and showing us and sending us stuff, man, like, yeah, de- definitely this time around, I won't have time. But next time I come to the UK, I think I'll make it a point. And obviously we've got family there, so, you know, go up and see them. But you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And, and, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to also, after you've kind of spoken about the football and everything, because I want to know if you remember who won, but um, also <laughs> yeah. just talk, talk, talk about your night 
before in Manchester as well, because, you know, by all accounts, it's definitely changed, but it was seemingly a really good night as well with your boy. Yeah, no, it, it was. So the reason why we were able to get the hookup at Albert Schloss and the hookup at um, uh, uh, Peaky Blinders, and, you know, Manchester bouncers are serious bouncers. Like Manchester, Nottingham and London has serious bouncers. And uh, we, we they let us in because then the night before, and I'll, I'll go into this, but like the night before me and my homeboy were moving around, like we, we hit up like 15 different spots and obviously like introduced ourselves to the bouncers, introduced ourselves to some of the DJs, just wanted to make sure that I was good in all of these mm-hmm. places. And, um, and obviously like they can tell by my age and the way that I talk that I'm from the industry. I've worked those roads mm-hmm. before. So it was all, it was all, it was all friendly and it was all good vibes, but, but I'll come back to that. Cause I want to give a shout out to my man who took me out that night anyway. So then, yeah, we went to these parties. And again, what I want to say about Manchester as well is that I really had three phases, three, four phases of Manchester growing up in Salford and that experience, which wasn't really the best to be fair. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to Manchester and then transforming into the DJ. And that's where Love Soul was created. And that was a very, very special formative time. And then there's leaving Manchester, going to Canada, not being able to go back to Manchester because it wasn't intense enough and then move into London. And then once you fall in love with London, you kind of fall out of love with everything else in the sense that, you know, you have somewhat romantic views, but the, the 15 years afterwards when I was living in London, where I was going back to Manchester, Manchester just wasn't moving forward that much. Even though we had the terrorist attack and we had a lot of like stuff that was rebuilt, which was beautiful. Um, the, the rebuild was beautiful, but I kind of like just fell out of love with it. I was like, mm, it's a novelty thing. I'll go there once every three to four years, pass through, have a kebab, listen to the accent and keep it moving. But bro, Manchester is a genuine contender to 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 London. I can see now why somebody would say, mm, "I like London, but it's expensive. I'd rather go live in Manchester." Mm. And it's it's not it's not a New York LA thing in terms of it. they're not both vying for the A city. You're not either or. It's more much more like a New York Atlanta thing, where like Manchester has its own sound, its own energy, its own vibe, its own accent, and they just come in and they just they just. They just do what they do. It's still a cultural hub. You can still walk into HMV and buy a Joy Division T-shirt or a Happy Mondays T-shirt. It's just, it's it's so real. And and all of the big actors, like all of the like main characters you see in the streets in Manchester, like mm-hmm. the Scally Kid or the the Hoods, they've now become second characters to the city because the city was always good, but the people I felt let it down back in the day. Whereas now, the people have moved back a stage and the city's incredible and they're all kind of like rising together like i saw no violence i saw yeah. no gang stuff nothing it was just mm. it was like being in a beautiful european city do you, do you think that's happened like how because i remember when obviously there was a terrorist attack and then is it print works that came about if i'm not mistaken and that was like this big kind of facelift for manchester but manchester was still manchester but now you're saying that it's advanced even more and Manchester's become something of its own kind of character in, in the UK. So has that just happened in the like the last like couple of years? Like how how has it transformed? Like what what's kind of pushed it forward? I, I straight up asked people that question. I said, when did this happen? And the average person said, I heard this multiple times. I don't know what, what why they said this number. They said seven years. So seven years would have been 2015 onwards. And I don't know when I did the contract up there with um uh the fragrance shop which mm. creative content agency was doing fragrance shop content mm. and the alicia dixon fragrance launch and a bunch of other cool things but it was around that time that the bbc came 
And it's around that time that the Southerners came. Yes. And then when the Southerners came, obviously Southerners have extremely high standards when it comes to F&B, when it comes to coffee, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to bars and nightlife. So as much as it's not the lead domino, I think the BBC coming up made a difference because now you've got TV producers, you've got talent, you've got, um, you know, people that work on sets that are, that are born and raised in, you know, London, Brighton, Bristol, places like this. And they, they just came and I feel like that, that contributed. But then I also feel like I've got to give props to like the people of Manchester as well. Like we've always had ballers in Manchester, whether they play football or they're sports people or whether they're street guys or whether they're just entrepreneurs and business people, you know, they're, they're traders in the North of Manchester that trade textiles and they make millions and millions yeah. of dollars every month, uh, every year, but they just roll around super ghetto because the energy yeah. of Manchester is just ghetto. But all of the things has raised up. I mean, Manchester is, I would, I, I would go as far as saying that assuming the weather's good, I would probably visit Manchester on every single trip now. It is that incredible. The Northern Quarter, which used to be super grimy, where you go and buy like Wu-Tang hoodies and mixtapes and stuff like that. Like I sent you guys some of the mixtapes I used to pick up in the Northern Quarter, in the Coliseum, like the sampler for Nas's album, the sampler for DITC album, the sampler for Eminem album. Like it was, it was grimy. And now it's like beautiful bars and the area of Vikash where Jay launched his restaurant. So for those who don't know, uh, Vikash's uh, older brother is a very popular chef in the city of London and was covered in a Netflix show called million pound menu. And his pop-up was in Manchester. That area is called yeah. Spitalfields, I think. Oh, like or, in London. Same as no, London. Then, it's, then it's not, then it's not Spitalfields. Yeah. It might be called Springfields or so, I don't know something, but it's just off of Deansgate, which Deansgate yeah. is one of the big streets that runs through the city. And uh, it's just mind blowing. Like it's so good as a what? city. It's so good. What are they playing in the clubs? Like what kind of music is it? Is, is it kind of like, you know, up-tempo? Is it all new, new like, drill, trap? Is it Afrobeat? Is it like a full combination of everything? Because Manchester's, Manchester's always had a good music scene. Yeah. Whether it be, like, homegrown locally or kind of international music. And it's also very culturally... It's got its own culture, you know, when it comes to music and fashion and food and everything. So have they adopted kind of a wider music like variety yeah because the the black music scene in general in the uk is a is a full scene it's its own yeah. genre like for the first time that i've seen you could probably go to a club all night and hear uk music and not need to hear any like brooklyn trap or whatever like whatever like whatever not trap um drill music or anything like that because obviously there's a drill scene here as well but you know, they played everything they played across the board. Like, so j- just on that point, just moving backwards, you know, there's the football match. Uh, United lost 3-1, I think. Um, and then... Sorry, is that, after... is that why you're wearing the, the, the T-shirt now? Like you're wearing No, I don't know. T-shirt. Yeah. No, so I've, actually, when, when we cleared out the garage, I found a, a Vodafone Manchester United T-shirt and a sharp one from the 80s, ah, which I have. That's sick. That's sick. Yeah, yeah. And I, found, and I found the program of the football match that I went to in 91. Oh, nice. Mm. It's 80 pence, yeah. So I texted it to Mikhail. I was like, look, this is the program from the last time I went to the stadium and he Googled it because it's worth eight pounds now. So I could have 10 X on that program. Um, so then, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so to just, yeah, wrapping up the Manchester United bit. So we went and it was nice and it was so good, like to hang out with Mikhail and his friends and family. And then afterwards we went to this lunch and all of the, I guess everybody was eating, do you know what I mean? With their family and their friends. Mm, and um, 
the, the Liverpool players were there. The Manchester United players were like very slick in like suits and stuff. And then the, the Liverpool players were in like athletic wear, like track suits with Liverpool written on. And you can tell who they are because they look healthy and rich. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like they look like footballers. But what, what really topped that off was afterwards they were like, oh, we're leaving. So I said, all right, yeah, let's get out then. And um, we start walking, we start walking and we start going through every single back corridor, fire exit. It was real like Goodfellas moment. Mm. And then uh, next thing you know, we come out of this like little, these kind of like stone steps. We walk down and you look to the right and there's this red archway and you walk mm. through the archway and that's the fucking pitch. Yeah. So we came out of where it said home and then opposite you, there's a door that says away where the other cats come out. And then you both walk through this archway and then this is you're on the football pitch man this dude took us all on the football pitch uh i went on the football pitch made some videos kicked the ball around a little bit uh or probably just kicked it once to be fair aiming at the goal there was three kids in the goal so the ball didn't go in but i have that video um i'd liked it if it had gone in actually i wish i wish it could have got yeah. in or whatever who cares. <laughs> could have tried again. nah but you know everybody wants to do it in it and then some yeah, people were like yeah, literally yeah. kicking the ball and doing like real shit with it i was like fuck it you do it i'm not bothered <laughs> and then i just went and took some videos um but yeah so that was a good laugh and then yeah so big up to him and then yeah vic to your point that the night before so the the, the reason why we kind of had the streets a little bit warmed up is because when i landed at the hotel shout out to, to motel one and peter square uh, amazing amazing hotel the uh we went over there and um my man came pick me up who was part of the Actually, he goes back beyond even the original Love Soul crew. When I went to Manchester Met Business School, this is one of the first person I made friends with, Shez. Um, and then as time went on, he started rapping. He started emceeing. He hosted our parties. He was part of the Love Soul crew before I was part of the Love Soul crew. In the sense that I, it was my crew and I owned it, but he was one of the talents. So there's him. There's a guy called Merkage Dave, who's a very big artist now. So they were two of them and another guy called uh, Rob Fury and then Curran, who you know, Vic, yeah, uh, yeah. and Rishi and uh, Pankill and a few other few other cats, Nick. And it was just, we had this like crew that was really, really live. And so we've been friends since probably 98 and we've been through a lot together. We've seen a lot together. We had some great times together. Um, and he came to, he came to like, to the, to the, the hotel. And then we, we linked up, started moving around and, um, just we probably hit about a dozen bars that night yeah. on the Friday night before before really setting it off on Saturday. And um we went to Revolutions, we went to a couple of couple of outlets in Deanskate Locks, which is these huge archways, Alex, under a train track over like an overground train. The mm. archways are made out of brick and they're so big that you can put full restaurants and bars with nightclubs inside. That's like massive. the comedy so the comedy stores in there, the comedy store is effectively a, a mini theater. And um, so there's five or six outlets there. So we went to a few of them. Then we went up Deansgate, checked out a few of the outlets there. We didn't go all the way up to Printworks where you said, Vic, unfortunately, yeah. Printworks was one neighbor, one part of town that I didn't get a chance to get to. But it's a compliment to Manchester because Manchester, you could smash it out in two nights normally. Now yeah. you can't because there's so many popping neighborhoods in the city. It's not dissimilar to like a, like a London or a New York in the sense that, yeah. you know, firstly, you decide what part of the city you're going to for that energy. And then in that part of the city, you got lots of stuff to do. Then we went to Gay Village, which used to just be a road. Now, if you look on Google Maps, it, the area is called Gay Village. And the, I was just, I, was, I think I've, I've said this to, to you on a previous uh, chat, but like the Manchester, Manchester's always been very liberal. Like, as you, you know, as you, as you said, we've had, we, we're a rock and roll city, we're a house city, we're a soul city. Very, very, been very embracing of the gay scene. 
now before it's like that part of town was gay, but now the whole of Manchester's gay. Yeah. Like the whole of Manchester, like the the gay thing is like integrated into every every part yeah. of the city, which is which is cool because it's like you know everyone's just like able to just do their thing. It's not mm-hmm. uncommon to go to a quote unquote non-gay theme bar and just see like a drag show and the the vibe that goes with it people are stood on tables raving dancing having a good time so you know um and i guess even as a straight dude as well it doesn't really matter because the place is still full of chicks you know what i mean so it's like it's still it's still a vibe and then um and then we just went to gay village and then we went to the northern quarter so i want to give a massive shout out to shares for like taking the time out to uh you know spend three four hours that night walking me places because also the even the places where we did gigs, the names of some of the places have changed. The big iconic venues have, you know, post COVID have, have changed and whatnot. So sometimes I don't know, is it a left here or a right here? When I used to be there every single day, like I would know, I could, you could, in those days, you could close my eyes and I'd be able to go from one neighborhood to another, one venue to another with my eyes closed. But now I didn't. So he definitely like helped make that whole thing a lot, a lot better. And it was just, it was just great to see him, man. And also I realized that I need to get in shape because we're the same age and he is ripped. Really? and in shape yeah 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 and i was just like is but his stuff's quite inspiring as well like you should we'll link him up in the show notes but his instagram is one app tv i believe w-a-n-a-p just go search for that on instagram and uh and support that channel he's doing incredible stuff so yeah and his brother flew in as well from toronto good friend of mine and uh, i didn't get a chance to see him but hopefully i'll get a chance to link him whilst i'm in in dubai so that was manchester man 48 hours in and out and just just i it was an absolute blessing dude like old trafford then watch Russell tear down the Apollo, then watch yeah. starting from scratch, tear down the Academy. You just, you just, and it was expensive. Yeah. It was really expensive to fly here. Like the, what I paid mm. for a one way is more than I'd pay for a return flight pre COVID. Yeah. Really? But hundred percent worth it. Yeah. Like it. my energy level is, is crazy. And then went to Leicester, um, you know, cleaned out the garage, spent some time with my mom and dad. I'm, you know, found episodes of vibe and the source where like, Left Eye passed away, Aaliyah passed away, the East Coast, West Coast war with Biggie, the Biggie dying ones, Jay-Z having the covers of the source, like loads of classic vibes, source, hip-hop connection, found old Ice-T posters that I used to have on my wall, found old De La Soul posters I used to have on my wall. Um, just <sighs> unbelievable, man. And actually, I was, I was texting you, Vic, this on, I think I might have texted you directly, like all the receipts for all the shit that I took, like about being in this game a long time and yeah, doing yeah, deals yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, the actual, the actual receipt of when I paid MC neat for the little bit of luck PA and um, monster boy and Denzi, the contracts who was paid the phone numbers, the fax numbers used. Like I was looking at this actually, to be honest with you, this is a, a moment of truth. I looked at all these things that I was doing in those days. And I actually felt to myself, like considering how heavy I was in those days and how many things I was doing as a teenager and as a young kid, I was like, probably I should have been a bit further on in life by now. Like that, that was like, cause that was like, I was like, I should probably be retired by now to be doing that level of work and continue to be working. But I guess that's where um, creative content Academy is going to fill the gap over the next seven or eight years. But yeah, man, it was, it was a real trip. And then I've come down to London, came down to London last night, staying at my boy Kish's house. Vic, you never guess where we went last night for dinner. Where'd you go? We pull up, yeah? He goes, yo, he's got one of his girls is in town and one of his guys is in town. And um, he goes, I want to take you to this place around the corner, this Italian joint. I was like, all right, yeah, it's all good. Because we were supposed to go to like some fancy neighborhood, right? And I was like, no, nah, you know, it's all gravy. Let's just keep it local. Dude, let me show you where we went. 
let me send this to the group chat. You guys can fill in a bit of time chatting if you want to. You can take some guesses if you want. Where do you think we went? Where, where is it? In, in, in Baker Street no itself? No, Alex Alex won't know, poor guy. Is it in Baker Street itself or like nearby? It's, um, it is right, yeah. right off of Baker Street. Like Benny Hanna or someplace like that? Nope. I'm, send, I'm sending. Uh, I'm sending it to you now. Uh, wait, how do you, I? How do I? You how do I do gas, this? You and me, that guy. So we're going to Benny Hanna. So. No, no, I met Boris Johnson there. Where really? Benny Hanna? Yeah, yeah, years ago. <laughs> That's me, so me, and, me, me and Vic went for a. Me, and, me, not me and Vic. Me and Vinny went. My cousin went for a. That food that they have there, and uh, saw Boris Johnson in the toilets. I was like, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. I just sent it to the group chat. Oh and wow! We nice. to... <laughs> I didn't know that was there. Yeah, it's right I there. So the... you want to explain then, yeah, because I'm just like yeah, it was that. yeah. So say the name again. Say the name of the restaurant. Right, I'm going to butcher it, but it is called Lantiga Pizzeria de Michelle. So for anyone that's oh. in Dubai, <laughs> so, yeah, anyone that's in Dubai will know it as um, one of the best pizzerias in the city that I claim it to be. Uh, we had a big debate about this a couple of a couple of weeks ago <laughs> on the podcast. But there's a uh, one of these in in Dubai JBR, and I think there's one in City Walk as well. It's actually yeah. a Napoli pizzeria, which has been franchised around the world. And I didn't know it was in uh, Baker Street. How was it? Was it was it? Fine? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was really good. Of course, they have different ingredients. Um, yeah, you know, there's uh, like pork and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't have that, but like the, you know, it's a little bit more of a a little bit more of a menu, but and it's licensed as well. So you saw, I just sent you an amazing bottle of Primitivo that we had last night that was only like, you know, 30 or 40 pounds for the bottle and um, which is, you know, insane. And um, yeah. yeah, it was great. We had, we had a really good time. Um, shout out to a, to a couple of cats that came out with us last night, Kieran and uh, girl Amrita. Amrita, who knows Ritesh in, <laughs> she's a Cindy chick. She knows Ritesh and uh, Ritesh Talani from Joy Gifts. Yeah, so we had a good old chat. Yeah, we had a good old chat. And then um and then, yeah, that's that's where we went last night. And then just kind of like came home, knocked out. And then this morning I went over to uh Hyde Park, which is like two one block, two blocks from where I'm staying. Yeah. I uh, did a did a little jog, pulled up at Pret, grabbed a breakfast roll and some uh beetroot like uh cold pressed juice and a coffee and just just chilling, man. Like I think two more weeks here is gonna have me like fully, fully refreshed and in a different zone because you know london's london's like london's climbing back quick not much in the way of masks and stuff outside to be fair so you got to kind of price that in a bit i've heard i've heard everyone's telling me now that basically everywhere is maskless i think hospitals and stuff you still gotta wear masks but pretty much everywhere else is just yeah on the streets it's you know one one in ten one in fifteen people you'll see with a mask everybody else is just out here but you know the numbers are going up yeah yeah so so yeah the numbers are going the numbers are going up like even just anecdotally like i when i landed here i couldn't go to my parents house or my uncle and aunt's house yeah everybody had covid uncle aunt baby cousin uh mom and dad and then in dubai i know of a lot of people that have got covid now as well so it looks like it's on a bit of an uptick yeah yeah i don't know anybody you don't know anybody that's serious. You didn't go to Emirates Palace with friends last week. You just went to Emirates Palace. 
Yeah, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> you what? You watch a video of the pool. That's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hearing also the numbers. So yeah, so UK's good. UK's seems to be thriving. I'm, I, you're I gonna, you're that, gonna love it. You'll yeah, love it when you get here. I'm trying. I'm trying to book my tickets for July uh, for Portugal and for, for for London. So let's get that. You know, once I get that sorted, I'll report back in July and see if it's the same vibe as Raj is getting. Well, I'm sure it will be. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I'm and I'm gonna go to um to Jay's restaurant today, Mama Pastrama. Oh, amazing! Take a look at take a look at the unit, and then once I've seen it, then if I if you know it all being well, then we'll start talking that up in the next couple of weeks on Instagram. Um, yeah. So that's that's where we're at, at the moment. So yeah, that's that's the last seven days in the UK. It's a it's a long stint actually on the podcast to talk yeah. about it, but it has been it's been you know fully packed. Cool man, you've done all a, right. you've done a lot though. Yeah, and I've not even started. I only just landed yeah, exactly. in London last night. I got got mad yeah. meetings and different things to catch up with. Matthew Gilbert, who I used to speak for yes. at the university there in um uh, in um Dubai, he's just staying a few minutes down the road. So we're going for coffee this evening oh, to catch up. Hi, he's, so hi to Matthew. He's a good chap. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's here with like some of his students from the US, and you know, and then slowly, slowly, I'll start dripping out on social media from today onwards. That I'm here just to see who I can connect with. Um, once I've got all the kind of core meetings and family stuff out of the way oh nice. all right good stuff busy week um another busy week to come i'm sure so let's move on mm-hmm. to news from the week um the first news story raj you put this out into our group chat yesterday is that Andreessen horowitz announces a 4.5 billion dollar fund a 4.5 billion dollar web3 fund and i think they just announced that in the last 48 hours or so yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. So they 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 seem to be doubling down on the crypto, even though that a lot of coins have lost a lot of their value and a lot of NFTs have been riddled with you know scams and things of that nature. Andreessen Horowitz, which is a very typically a very forward-thinking Silicon Valley venture capital firm, has now raised 4.5 billion. This is crypto fund four, right? Yeah. Crypto fund three was just under half that, 2.2 billion. And I actually don't know what one and two were, but you're probably looking at if they've been doubling, if they're on a like a, a double doubling rate, they might have maybe put about, you know, seven to ten million billion dollars of active play money in the market. Yeah. Uh, but this is obviously their, their biggest fund at a time where retail investors and most people are being screwed and uh, saying that it's it's a pretty bad thing. So, I mean, for me, I think it could be the beginning of a series of indicators that there is an eventual crypto uptick on the horizon and it might not be a bad thing still to invest in things that appear stable. It's interesting, ironic now that a stable coin, which is normally pegged to a currency, really, when you think of stable now, it's the actual lack of fluctuation with Ethereum mm. and uh, Bitcoin that we would regard as stable now. So yeah, quite, quite interesting. A quarter of this fund, if I remember from the article, cause I've not read it since yesterday is going towards seed. Yes. So you imagine about 1.1 billion plus change, will be uh, aimed at seed ticket sizes, which is small investments, mm-hmm. and the rest might be late stage. But I really I really wanted to only share this point on it, which is that I think when you look at Web3, it's not the latest version of the web. It's not the newest version of the web. I feel like what we're now realizing is that Web3 is just a refurbishment. It's basically taking the toxic parts of the web out that can be corrupted, like data and centralized centralized systems like Google and Facebook and is now upgrading them to 
the blockchain where, where it can't be tampered with. So in many ways, it's like living in a house where you've had asbestos in the walls and the ceilings and you take it out and you upgrade it for something that's not cancerous. Like Web2 has mm. loads of cancerous materials in its foundation because it was ultimately centralized. Whereas Web3 is saying, okay, it's still the web, but we're going to take out all of this cancerous stuff and make it on the blockchain so that it can't be tampered with. And so we're not really going to see, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't, I don't think the retail world's going to see a lot more innovation until a lot of this stuff gets figured out. But what you've got to think about is Andreessen Horowitz will probably be trying to invest in things that most of us won't even notice in the short term. So if you imagine like the, the companies that would have invested originally in, um, in like BlackBerry, you know, BlackBerry mm. is a very, very secure technology. I forget the name of the, the yeah. company behind it. RIM. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, the consumers did benefit from that until multiple years in, and then we all started rocking Blackberries. But the question is, what deal flow does Andreessen Horowitz have access to? Infrastructural deal flow or, or like, you know, government systems. Like if, if, if somebody approaches Andreessen Horowitz and says, hey, listen, we've got a technology here that will allow you, you to put your driver's license on the blockchain globally. And you can pull up in any country and use this driver's license. And because it's on the blockchain, no country will have any issue with yeah. it. And the U.S. government's prepared to back us, but we need some bridge financing of about eight hundred million dollars. Good, Andreessen Horowitz can Done. do that. We've seen that happen with SpaceX, and we've seen all the contracts that SpaceX has got. We've seen that happen with Palantir Technologies and Snowflake and stuff where they're they're well funded and all the big funds are inside them, but they're not uh, they're not necessarily things. You know, we don't we don't go to the store today and go buy like a voucher for Snowflake or a voucher for Palantir. It's right. not like Amazon. Do you know what I mean? So it's like. So I think I think they they see things and they hear things that we don't see and hear, and um, and overall it's going to be it's going to be very very good for the industry. And you combine that with the fact that you know looking at our friend Gary V's Instagram, the last weekend he's just had a very very successful conference when it comes to VCon. A lot of people were like, this VCon was like a one of one event, like it was a singular mm. moment in time. And I, you know we were talking about going right, and we had tickets and stuff like yeah. that, but. But, you know, you can't, you can't be everywhere at once, unfortunately. But looking at it, it looked like it was really, really special. I think yeah, VCon was, oh, I think VCon was the first ever, like, major NFT ticketed conference. Because you, you only... Yeah, sorry, yeah, NFT ticket is in, like, the, the ticket is the NFT. Yeah, yeah. I think it was yes, the yes. first major conference like that. It's big. Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, because, uh, you know, when you're talking about Andreessen Horowitz putting so much money into Web3 relatively speaking, and, and looking at it as kind of infrastructural investment, you know, when the last, you know, let's call it 18 months, 12 months, whatever it is, there's been this huge adoption from kind of retail investors, but it's not that mass. It just seems like it is. There's a small group of people investing in NFTs and crypto and, you know, whatever it might be. And I think in order for it to really have mass adoption, like really mass adoption, it's almost like the public, the general public won't see it coming. They can't see it coming. It's just got to creep into their daily lives slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly. So if there is a driver's license that can be put on the blockchain and me or anyone like me, that's just a, a general population person goes, all right, well, all I have to do is put in some details here and pay you know, five pounds or, you know, 20 dirhams or whatever it is, and it's done. And I can go anywhere in the world and my driver's license is valid. Cool. They may not know that that's what's happening and how it's happening, but slowly, slowly, all of these little things 
will start happening. And then people will be like, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm starting to get it because it's happening in their real life. Things like NFTs mm. is just, is so like, it's so difficult to understand. It's so like conceptual to most people that they're like, why is a picture of an ape so valuable when it has nothing behind it? Like, I can't do anything with it. People don't get it. And I get that. So when it starts affecting their daily lives in a positive way, mm. inch by inch, inch by inch, that's where we're going to see. It. And that's going to take a long time, you know, through yeah. regulation, through policy, through procedures, through big industry. It's going to take some time, but it's going to take institutional investors to do the legwork for everyone else. Yeah. And, and also as well with people losing losing money on this. It's kind of, you know, Jay-Z had a lyric on there, neck and neck and wrist uh, with Pusha T. He was like, you spend real money on fake watches. And it's like the weird thing about the, the crypto world is you can understand why people are mad because people spent real fiat money currency to buy cryptocurrencies. The cryptocurrencies, they have no control over the price. When they go down, even if you withdraw and convert back to fiat, you get less than you put in. You know, if you, if you got really caught on the, the down cycle of this. So it's almost like you're going to a street hustler who's doing three card, three card thing or the ball three inside the, team. yeah. Or like you put the, the ping pong ball inside the red cups and you, you're betting, you're betting, you're betting, you're winning, you're winning, you're winning, you're winning. Then he goes, Oh, sorry, the police are coming. I've got to go. And he just runs off. And it's like, well, he's right to run off because you don't want to get in trouble mm. for betting. And he doesn't want to get in trouble yeah. for doing that. So it's right that he goes, but you did lose a lot of money along the way. So here we are investing real at real money into crypto then something happens, the market crashes, or you know now there's regulatory pressure happening. The company kind of has to, the crypto in a macro has to lower its value. And we're like, yeah, but we were playing. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, yeah. you can understand why people feel like frustrated by it because you had no control of it. And, and, and if you really le listen between the lines, when people are saying, I put $500 in and now it's gone up to $1,300. You know what's interesting about that? Crypto is only the bit in the middle. Yeah, but the human being is talking about two events that are fiat events, which is I put in five hundred dollars, and that's now worth thirteen hundred dollars. If they mm. said I put in five hundred dollars and I got one Ethereum, and now that one Ethereum is worth one point three Ethereum, then the baseline currency is the thing that moves, the thing that they bought. But it's not. Everyone's talking about fiat in, fiat out, and so it was never really about owning the cryptocurrency for a lot of people, yeah. unless it was like a store of value play, like Bitcoin. So. That we're having a bit of a great reckoning and because the internet makes everything so quick, I mean, the internet is what's made, I have no doubt that the internet is what's made cafe culture in Manchester go through the roof hmm. is because people look at people on the internet in Manchester, look at London, Melbourne, San Francisco and go, wow, look what you can do with a coffee shop and then bring it here. It's the same way that it's done it with crypto. It's just, it, the internet is the, is a lubricant for culture and it makes stuff happen so quickly that, you know, it's, uh, we, we're just seeing these things play out that if crypto happened 20 years ago, it might've taken 15 years to, to go through yeah. this cycle. It's happened in four. Mm. Yeah. But then also the fear, like the fear right now is going to have your retail investor reticent to, you know, invest or even, or even explore even further because they're worried about the value of their, their, their currency going down. They're worried about a potential recession on the horizon. They're worried about gas prices going up. They're worried about their bills being up by 30, 40, 50%, depending on where you are in the world. They're worried about food prices going up. You know, there's all of these different things, like real world problems. So they're now like, how is anyone supposed to really be thinking about 
okay, well, I can take $500, invest it, and hope that it kind of raises when really it's not at the moment. So they've got to put their energy somewhere else in terms of like clamping down and going, right, how are we going to make, make ourselves get through this next quarter, two quarters, three quarters, or whatever, however long it's going to take. They've got to really think about that. And that's where these institutional funds that are doing it are going to help prop up and, you know, take forward Web3. We're not going to be able to do that as retail investors, not on a mass level. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting as well about the next couple of quarters. I was in a train station yesterday and I bought a, a raspberry blueberry sparkling water for two pounds, which changed. is like 10 dirhams. London's yeah. Changed you. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Dubai changed me for sure. So so I bought I bought this thing. I bought this sparkling water and I bought um like 250 ml and I bought a packet of crisps. It was three pound 50 in total, which is about 18 dirhams for a drink and a packet of crisps. And then I said to the guy, I said like, yo, this is crazy money. He goes, I know like it's basically gone up by like double the prices of this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, interesting. I said, so what, what's happening with that? He goes, we're not even at the worst of it yet. He goes, people at the moment are choosing between like paying one of their bills or buying food yeah. in the UK. And he said, uh, people are really, really hurt. And even Shes told me this on Friday night. He was like, normal people that do not have access to some of the, the opportunities that we have are really, really struggling in the real world. But then the guy said something in the train station that really sent chills through my spine. He was like, wait till winter. Mm. Because when winter comes, when you really need to start cranking up the heat, like literally, no pun intended, like Mm, you literally need to have your rate, you need, you literally need to have your radiator on for four months. Those bills, he goes, people are not going to be, and then people are going to, you know, people are going to be hitting the streets because that's, that's going to become a dangerous time. Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't, you can't make someone choose between a warm house and a warm plate of food. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't yeah. anywhere in the world, but in a place that's got infinite resources, this is the last place that should be doing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's really open my eyes to a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily see when you're in Dubai, just chilling all the time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like pressing a, yeah. pressing a button and seeing your favorite pasta show up 25 minutes later. Yeah. So let's, mm-hmm. let's keep an eye on it. Yeah, literally. Let's keep an eye on it and see, you know, what happens with this fund. And, and, and also if there's more funds that enter the market, at, you know, a reasonable number to to have to be newsworthy you know yeah cool so moving on uh there's a new ig layout now in dubai or at least me and alex haven't been able to get that update <laughs> yet but raj you've had that update and i think probably because you're in the uk you you might have been able to get earlier access to it so tell us about the new ig layout yeah so the the new ig layout is horrible <laughs> to be honest <laughs> so basically the, the old the old ig layout if you can imagine was you scroll and as you scroll, you get these white boxes. And in that white box, you've got the, the username. And at the bottom, you've got uh, the, the description, like the caption. You've got a, a heart button and a forward button. And they made some really good advancements on that recently. But then this latest update basically means that the inventory of where the content is shown is shown from the top to the bottom of the screen, which is horrible for a couple of reasons. One, you can't always tell when you're transitioning from one piece of a content to the other because it's flush. There's no white area. Secondly, there's no save button that I can see. They seem to have moved that into the three dots. Yeah, the three dots on the right-hand side, which means that I hate it. I tried saving something this morning and I was just like, this is horrible. And it's just, it's, and then if you want to do the captions, you have to open the caption. And then even though there's no user interface that tells you to do this, you have to thumb over the words to scroll them. And they are overlaid on top of the content that the content creators made. But if there's one thing that I hate about it more than anything else, it's the fact that if you're scrolling for the text to pop out and be readable, they actually put a black fade over the top of the content. 
So the content becomes discolored and darkened so that you can read the caption, which is already abbreviated. It's a mess. It's absolutely disgusting. And I think mm. at a time where TikTok's doing what it's doing and is winning off simplicity, Instagram is basically swimming in the wrong direction up the river. And it's weird because it's like, you know, like in America, you in, in the, the Black Lives Matter movement, they were like, we don't want an extra holiday. We don't want this. We just want people to stop killing black people. Mm. They were just like, just stop killing us. We don't want anything. Just stop doing this. And it made me think about that. It's like when somebody really wants something and then when they get something else in return, I feel what, you know, everybody's in an abusive relationship with Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a carrot and a stick. The carrot is, you know, what you get for reach. And then the stick is you getting, you know, hit if you talk about COVID or this or that or something that they're not trying to talk about. But really what we want from Instagram is reach. And mm -hmm. we want we want a better idea of, what's being amplified and what's not and why and really how can we understand the algorithm better that's one of the things that elon's talking about about putting the algorithm out there for everybody to understand how it works and uh, and here we are asking for something and instagram's just doing something quite opposite they're telling us about nfts that they're going to launch we, talk, we talked about in the previous episode and they're changing their user interface when really all we want is all we want is reach so it's uh it's horrible the only good thing i've seen the only bit of silver lining is that when you do post something i posted uh, my friends your friends video yesterday uh, shout out to the 250 odd people that gave that a like. And um, there is a boost button there now. So you can boost reels, mm -hmm. which to your point, Alex, nice. in a recent episode was um, you were saying that a lot of the content that you're getting is suggested content. And I think yeah. we deducted on that call that that might be a, a forward indicator as to what they might be doing with boosting content. Mm, I think it'll be interesting if you can start boosting reels because you're already getting so much reach that like how much more reach can you get by boosting them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what they're doing. And, and speaking of that, we, we, we have a follow-on story that we just added with regards to reach and the algorithms. We do. From uh, uh, so a, a famous whistleblower. So I'll, I'll, tee this, I'll tee this one up. So the lady's name, I, and I, I've struggled to pronounce it, but it's Frances Hogan. And last year, I think it was, 2021, she basically set the mainstream media and the nerdy media uh, alight because she came out as a whistleblower. She was an engineer. Uh, and a product manager inside of mm -hmm. Facebook. And she got thousands of documents, internal documents, and gave them to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the Wall Street Journal wrote it up. And a lot of that content and uh, materials that was released alluded to some of the things, that the darker side of Facebook, what it is that's causing anxiety, depression, self-harm, what's being amplified, uh, what kind of controversies are they pumping. So... Uh, she came out and she wrote an article in which magazine or in, which, which well, online in publication the, in, in the New York times. New York times. Okay. So the overview of this uh, is that Europe, let, let me give you the title and we'll link it up in the show notes. Europe is making social media better without curtailing free speech and the U S should too. So what this story is basically saying is that Europe is launching an act called the digital services act. And what it does is it basically puts pressure on these social media sites to, be more transparent about what it is that they're amplifying and what they're not amplifying. So this could be, uh, this could be, uh, let's have a look. It says, um, it is a broad and comprehensive set of rules and standards, not unlike food safety standards, but what's remarkable about it is it focuses on the focuses on oversight of the design and implementation of the systems, i.e. how the algorithms behave 
rather than determining what is good or bad speech. So free speech can still reign on these platforms, but Mm -hmm. what they're going to tell you is, Hey, listen, we're pumping up this content. We're pumping up all these cat videos because we know you like cat videos. Now, if all that happened on social media is that people that liked cat videos got more cat videos, then we'd be living in a great place. But obviously people have all sorts of negative and positive preferences which Facebook is incentivized to put in front of them through Instagram and Facebook, which then can lead to real world behaviors, yeah. many of which are negative mm-hmm. and many of which are uh, irreversible. So the digital service that actually is, well, also has some specifics around it where it's kind of, they want more transparency about like particular like products and things as well. So online marketplaces. So, you know, the removal of illegal products and services from online marketplaces, uh, targeting you know content targeting victims of cyber violence uh dark patterns you know there's a whole bunch of like kind of categories here transparency and profiling search engines are being targeted so there's a lot of like specifics around what they want transparency on Mm. now how, how they balance that versus kind of not impinging on free speech i don't know the kind of technicalities around that but i think this is a really big step forward um on, on social platforms for people to be able to be like, all right, well, part of the problem will be addressed, part of the problem, particularly for like young people, you know, when they're thinking about what they're buying or are they victims of cyber violence or, or cyber bullying or whatever it might be. Yeah, what they're still saying is we have an open door policy when it comes to free speech. You can still say what you want, but, and of course, if it's if it passes a certain boundary, it can still be taken down, which as it should, but what they're ultimately saying is if we want to manipulate you, if we want to ultimately manipulate your thoughts by sending you down a rabbit hole or, or what they call an echo chamber, mm-hmm. then we have to be transparent about the fact that we're doing that. So it's in a way, it's, it's like it's like Francis talks about in the article, which is that it's got really nothing to do with free speech. It's just got to do with how they leverage all the data, because when they leverage the data, they do it for two things, right? They do it for your they, they, they ultimately do it under the macro of your attention but is the attention for commerce or is the attention for engagement? Mm -hmm. So when they use their algorithms, if they're trying to manipulate your attention for commerce, it's because they want to serve the right ads to you. And if they want to manipulate your attention for engagement, it's because they want to put the right content in front of you. So Mm -hmm. they're they're doing it for one of two ways, either stay on the platform, time on site, or if you're going to leave the platform, leave because you clicked on one of our advertisers and we get to see, you know, we as Facebook get to get a, a piece of that action. So in essence, they've got this algorithm. And I think what we're going to start seeing, because even like Elon literally was like, yo, let's put the Twitter algorithm on GitHub. GitHub is where anybody can criticize it and look at it. So yeah, I think we do need to now. I think think what we need to now start doing is we now need to start seeing, okay, we need to start educating the public as to what is an algorithm and how does it affect you? Because, because Because it does have the ability to manipulate human beings at a subconscious level. It's extremely powerful. And I think if a lot more people knew what an algorithm was and how it was impacting them, I think they'd have a lot more to say about it. Do you know what I mean? Because not, not a lot of people can ignore the idea of them being controlled without them knowing. How do you think it will impact what, like, how do, how do you think it will impact the reach that people have that are not doing anything nefarious or anything you know, that might be seen as kind of negative or, you know, whatever it might be. Do you think, do you think there'll be an impact on that? Do you think these platforms will start 
changing their algorithm and it might affect your average person trying to add value or do good? Um, no, no. I mean, ultimately, like if they're putting the content out there, once it go, everybody interfaces through the algorithm. So even, mm -hmm. even when I post something, there's a high propensity chance that you or Alex will get to see it. Like Vic or Alex will get yeah. to see it. It's only because the algorithm has stitched us together. If I put out a piece of content and you don't see it, it's because the algorithm said for you to not see it because neither mm -hmm. of you, neither of us, when it comes to each other's accounts, wake up in the morning and check each other's accounts. Mm -hmm. We just kind of know that yeah. if Vic's posted something, Instagram will okay. do its job. So the algorithm is the utility. The algorithm is the concierge that brings you what it thinks that you need from an informational perspective on that platform. But if that concierge is getting backhanders from Tesla or Cadbury's yeah. or do you know what I mean? Then all we're saying here is we need to know what it is that's influencing the concierge that brings mm -hmm. us the information. By the way, that's why I keep saying I'm a fucking genius because I, these analogies come to me when I'm like spitballing. An, an algorithm is essentially the concierge of the platform. Yeah. When you walk yeah. back into the hotel, which is when you open the app, it says, oh, hey, Mr. Katecha, just to let you know your shoes have arrived and you know, we saw on your profile when you checked in that you like white chocolates and we've had them flown in for you. That's it. Mm -hmm. But when it starts saying, oh, but by the way, as well, we put like a, a gas in your room that you can't smell that's going to make you lightheaded. You're like, well, fuck, I, I didn't know that. You shouldn't be doing that. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I have no control over it. So it's like it's got one of those kind of things. So it's like, that's the vibe. Yeah, that's genius, yeah. bro. The algorithm is a concierge. Wow. I'm going to be so like let's, um, grinning the whole day now based on thinking about that. <laughs> let, he's not going to leave the house now. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's see what happens. I mean, I think, I think this is obviously a, a huge step forward. Um, how, it, how it actually gets realized and how the social platforms either try and fight it or, you know, fall in line. We don't know how that's going to happen. It remains to be seen. But this is a huge step forward. Now, the only, that, now one thing to know is just in Europe, it's a mm -hmm. European Digital Services Act yeah. that European commissioners uh, passed or come to a consensus on. It's yet to happen in other major markets, namely America. So now... And, and the UK. And the UK. Well, right. Yeah, of course. This is, this, yeah, yeah. this is the thought I had. This is Europe because <laughs> UK is not in, in Europe. Now, I don't know how. Hopefully then, you know, these two, two major, major markets can kind of go, okay, well, if Europe are doing it, then we need to be doing it as well. Now, I'm not sure that they'll follow suit that quickly. And if they do, they might do it in stages or differently because they want to protect their own, you know, capitalist ideas. Let's see. Yeah, let's see. Worth keeping cool. an eye on. Go, 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 go check that article out. It's a, it's a very short read. Um, great article. Cool. Uh, last one on our news from the week is, is just a, a quick story about Jack Dorsey stepping down from the Twitter board. Um, when he stepped down as CEO, this was about, this was on Wednesday, I think it was announced. So when he stepped down as CEO, his term was coming to an end in 2022 anyway. So I think it's just a point to note that of admin that he's now stepped down and he's officially kind of mm -hmm. out of Twitter. He's probably still got a very small shareholding. But as far as any kind of voting rights or decision making or any kind of influence, that's basically gone now. It's just a point oh. to know. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, for the last couple of years, he's not really been involved much in Twitter either since he was involved in Square, which is now Block, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Scott Galloway phrased it in a good way. It's like he's basically a dad that's going between two families. Mm. And it was clear that the fintech opportunity and the crypto opportunity was where his, a, lot, a lot of his attention was. If you just look at the value that was created inside Block and the amount of innovation that was happening inside Block, it's clear that that's the family that he wanted to spend most time with. Yeah. And what I didn't know, and I'm glad that you picked up on it, is that he had um, he had a he is a time where he was anchored. I didn't know that. I thought he could have left any time and just left of his own free will. And so leaving after your vesting period is yeah. not uncommon. Not a vesting period. That's like a mm. post acquisition like shares thing. But like you know, leaving after your obligation period is not uncommon. And so it looks like yeah. he's timed it right on time. Clearly, this is something that he was thinking about. The only point of confusion at the moment is with the Elon bid you know, on, on its roller coaster ride that it is at the moment, you'd think that he'd want to be, he'd, you'd want, he'd want to remain on that board. But now we've not heard much from the Elon news cycle when it comes to the acquisition of Twitter in the last week. So we don't necessarily know how that's going to play out, but I will say this to that point, right. To all the people that were talking about Jack is an interesting lens to look at the Elon deal through because Jack was highly criticized for his lack of focus between the two companies and God knows what else he's got going on in the world. Whereas Elon's quite the opposite. Elon is actually able to sit at the top of a bunch of very interesting companies, not least Tesla, the boring company, SpaceX, and God knows whatever else. He's basically changing the energy infrastructure of America and the globe, and he's very capable of doing it. And so when people talk about Elon joining the board of Twitter, when you look at Twitter as a platform, it's had the least amount of growth compared to its peers, people that came out around the same time, the Facebooks, the Netflix's, the Amazons, it's not had anywhere near kind of like this, the steady share increase over the long term. So it's an underperformer, it's under leveraged, it's toxic in terms of fake users and stuff like that. It really needs a cleanup. It's, it's, you could actually say it's a, it's a, it's a functioning distressed asset. Like it functions, like if you post a tweet, it will work and some people will see it, but it is distressed. It's got loads of toxicity around it and it doesn't generate the kind of value that it's it, other tech stocks do. So if the greatest CEO of all time is prepared to take that company over and is able to demonstrate the fact that he can run multiple companies at once, why wouldn't you want that person to come in and take it over? I don't see what the, what the criticism is. Even if he puts in place a C-suite below him, which he likely will do, yeah. and then he'll, he'll operate as like you know the Wizard of Oz and everything will trickle down from below him, then that's fine as well. So it's, it's a... But I guess Jack leaving the board, yeah, you're probably right. He doesn't want to get involved in uh, in the back and forth and some of the politics and some of his board level obligations. He might still hold on to his couple of percent that he has, which is still a good amount to have, and uh, and just roll with it. And you know, maybe we'll see. Uh, you know, and I was gonna say maybe we'll see more innovation coming out of Block and other things. But the reality is, probably not. Like him leaving the board, like you said, is is probably just an admin point. I think that's a very good, it's a very good framing of it. It's because his mind's gonna be where his mind's gonna be. He's a multi billionaire. No one can tell him anything anyway. Yeah, he's he's not he's not. I don't I don't think he's too bothered. I just don't think he's bothered about it, and he'll just put his attention where it needs to be put, or wherever his kind of mind wanders. Really, you know. So, yeah, and and maybe cool. if Elon does take over and put a new board together, you might see him show back up. Might come back. Might come back. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Cool. All right. Well, that that's uh, news from the week. It's quite uh, actually some really interesting stuff that has come out from from the news this week. Let's move on to some uh, content recommendations. Um, Alex, do you want to start with a trailer that you've recently seen? Yes, um, I think three days ago, Mission Impossible mm. 7 uh, came out. It's called Dead Reckoning. 
Yeah. Um, looks like a quality movie. It comes out in 2023. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It'll be good. Tom Cruise in that trailer looks basically like he's 21. I mean, he, he, he basically doesn't age. That, he doesn't. That Mission Impossible, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, right? That Mission Impossible trailer to me is like every single Mission Impossible trailer just upgraded every single yeah. time. It's the same format and everything, but it gets you so hyped, so excited. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this, um, Raj, we, you know, Alex, we were talking about Drake and franchises and stuff a, a mm. couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. one franchise I complete that completely slipped out of my mind was Mission Impossible when I was yeah, saying I didn't even there's think no about franchises. It. Obviously, it's not a new franchise, but this is one of those ones that has been able to stand the test of time like like the Fast and Furious um, franchise. Yeah. But it looks good, eh? It really does look good. Yeah. Raj, you I haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen it. And I didn't see it yesterday because I thought that the movie was coming out like in the next couple of weeks. So if I can go into the movie blind, like no trailer, then that'd be amazing because mm. I managed to pull that off for the Batman and I managed to pull that mm-hmm. off for, you know, what, once every couple of years, I managed to walk into a movie that is ends up being brilliant and I don't even see the trailer. So I really yeah. get to like my first experience of the characters and the storyline is all at the time in real time. Uh, so I avoided it. But if it's coming out next year, here's the good oh, thing yeah. about me and me is I'll watch it, totally forget it yeah. and then go and watch it in 2023 <laughs> yeah. and, then I'll, and then I'll just enjoy it then. So yeah, I'll definitely... That's definitely on my to-do list. I will, I will, I'll plug that in at some point. Oh, and then uh, Eminem's fourth studio album and a third, if you, you know, really don't care about the first album, which was called Inf- uh, Infinite, right? His fourth studio album, which is called The Eminem Show, celebrates 20th anniversary of release on the 26th of May, which was last, which was yesterday, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I've just pulled up, the, I pulled up the story because we weren't able to talk about this until what, today. The the Eminem show. Yeah. So yeah. The, it looks like what you get here is previously unreleased song Jimmy Brian and Mike, as well as B sides, instrumental tracks, and live songs is called the Eminem Show Expanded Edition, and it is available to mm-hmm. stream right now on Spotify. Track yeah. numbers, thirty eight tracks. What? That's, that's, that, that's expanded. And, and if yeah. you remember this album, this was, I, I mean, it's, I think it, I think it was one of his, I mean, it has to be one of his best selling, best selling albums. It's 12 times platinum. It's the second best selling album of the 21st century, according to Billboard. Mm. So a big, big, big album. And quite, I think quite a pivotal point in his career as well. You know, I had big records like Sing for the Moment, White America, Clean Out the Closet. And it, and it kind of brought him out of that kind of parody phase into something, someone a bit more kind of serious as such and a bit more kind of politically vocal. Um, yeah. And, and I think it was an important album for, for him specifically in his career. He needed that. He needed to come out of that parody for people to then take him seriously again, you know? So I'm looking at the track list right now. I think, you know, My Dad's Gone Crazy was definitely on there. And then I'm assuming Curtains Closed, track 20, is probably where the album finished when it finished. Then after that, you've got a track called Stimulate, which may have been on the first album, who knows, but Stimulate. Then you've got the Conspiracy Freestyle, Bump Heads. Then the one that was listed in the article on Pitchfork, Jimmy, Brian, and Mike. Now here's some of the extra bits they've thrown in. Freestyle number one, live from Tramps in New York City, recorded in 99. Brain Damage, live from Tramps, 1999. Freestyle number two, live from Tramps. Just Don't Give a Fuck, live from Tramps. The Way I Am, live from 
the Fuji Rock Festival in 2001. So if you want some of that Japanese hip-hop love in the crowd, you're going to be able to hear that in the background. And then the real Slim Shady, again, from live from Fuji Rock. So that takes you up to track 30. Then tracks 31 to 38, so eight records, are all instrumentals, including Business, Cleaning Out mm. My Closet, Square Dance, Without Me, Sing For The Moment, Superman. Superman's going to be such a dope instrumental. Say what you say, and then till I collapse, which is an incredible song. So there's at least three or four standout instrumentals. Definitely, definitely uh, worth a stream. Good, uh, and and if you can get it, good for the DJs as well because those instrumentals yeah. are hard, like really hard. Yeah, although I think yeah, I think that's probably the reason as well why we've seen M, you know, pulling up on SNL and doing skits with Pete Davidson and stuff like that. Because I was wondering, I was like, this guy's showing up a fair bit considering he's not in promo cycle. Turns out he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also the SNL thing. I think Pete Davidson has left now. Um, yeah. So I think he did his last episode last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. and then pulled up pulled up on that because Pete Davidson does the character as well, the Eminem character and all that. So, mm. you know, he just came and did a little skit, part of the skit yeah. and, and then bounced. Somebody, somebody, Pete Davidson woke up to a, a debit card next to his bed saying, quit your job. <laughs> he's now got he's now got he's now got a joint account he doesn't need to work anymore so yeah it, it, the, the debit card doesn't have his name on it but uh you yeah, know. But... yeah 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 exactly so he, yeah so 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 he so he's chilling so yeah so that's good so yeah. good content recommendation on my cool. side did I, I have any no you didn't have any but i do no. want to like some something that's come out this morning it's not a happy thing but you know i want to just make a note of Ray Otter passing who um is a is an actor if if everyone knows him mm. from uh, Goodfellas, which is uh, one of my favorite films of all time, and uh, yeah, unfortunately he passed away. I don't know how or why, but uh, yeah, give, give, give it a quick give it a quick Google. See how he passed away. No, I look I looked this morning, but I yeah like no information this morning. Oh. oh no information. I haven't checked since this morning, oh. so I don't yeah. I don't actually know. But yeah, you know, I think he was like sixty seven years old. Um, he's been in a gang of movies, like a bunch of movies. And he always plays that kind of scary, mm. like, you know, evil looking character. He's played a couple of comedy roles. But yeah, for me, the standout is always going to be Henry Hill in Good, Goodfellas. My, one of my favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite. Yeah, that came out in 1990. And it's, it, it's a really, it's, it's a really, um, it's a really, uh, it's a really, challenging film because there's some parts in there especially like the scene where he's laughing and you look at his face and you can see that he's like really forcing the laughter because his character has to force the laughter yeah so it's really like i don't want to say ugly and awkward but it's like there's something i'll always remember him laughing in that scene with joe pesci and being like is that the actor playing the character laughing or is that the character playing another character Mm. trying to laugh it's so complex. And the way he did that is, uh, is incredible. Um, it also says as well here that um, last year he starred in the Sopranos prequel film, The Many Saints of Newark, uh, having turned down a role in the original series. And uh, when I did my first movie, Tim Burton was getting ready to do a Batman. And he's interested in me because I thought he wanted to be edgy and real. And he thought, Batman, that's a stupid idea. Even though he had just done one of my favorite movies of all time, Beetlejuice. So yes, I regret not auditioning for that. Man, it was a great actor. Um, I, mm. I said this to you before, Alex, because you are so young and you've missed out on the greatest hip hop of all time and you missed out on some of the greatest movies of all time, you actually have an advantage that nobody else has, which is that you get to experience all these movies for the first time. There is no mm. version of any planet, of any reality 
where you're not going to watch Goodfellas and be like, that was a brilliant yeah. film. And the good thing is because it's a, because it's set in a different era when you watch it and it's set in the sixties and seventies it's the same as when we watched it in the nineties, mm, because yeah. we're both watching an era that doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah. So that film by default doesn't age mm-hmm. because it was never meant to be a contemporary film. So whether you watch it now or you watch it in 20 years, you're watching it at a, it's set in a different time. Yeah. So you'll be able to appreciate it the same way that we did. And also bear in mind, it's based on a true story. So even from that point of view, mm. it can't be a contemporary movie because it is based on a, on a true story in a particular time in, 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 in history, you know? So, yeah. So there we go. So yeah. So okay. rest in peace to him. And also, yes. yeah. also like, um, as I said, I said this um, recently to, to you guys, but like, also I've been very late on this news coming out of America about all these shootings. And I know that, uh, that especially for parents, uh, anybody really, but you know, the, the kind of people that have been murdered in these mass shootings, uh, whether it's um, a bunch of, a bunch of black people in a, a supermarket, excuse me, I don't, I haven't, you know, deep dived into the story, but I know, I know the premise that that was one of the things. And then you know, a couple of days ago, like 19 children and two adults were shot in a school. And I know that that's been uh, difficult for a lot of people to, to see that news. America is, uh, America eats its young, let's be honest, like for their constitution, they don't mind what kind of blood is shed. And even though it only comes down to 50 or a hundred powerful people that are the, the cause of that, it's still extremely unfortunate. Nobody should die. Um, whether you look at like Columbine or Sandy Hook, it is just part of, American culture now, but uh, but yeah, it's what to kind of acknowledge that because it's extremely sad and uh, and it just shouldn't be happening. And it makes me super grateful to live in Dubai. So you can say what you want about Dubai, but that's uh, that's something that you know as residents we don't we don't have to experience. So uh, yeah, you know, condolences to the family. Of course, they're not listening, but like condolences to to anybody who's felt any type of way about it. Especially like I know for you as well, Vic. Your 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 boy is the same age. So that I wonder like how that story when you read something like that, what goes through your head. Yeah, I mean, you said it quite well, like, you know, obviously, it's, it's kind of happening in the other side of the world. And, you know, you can always put yourself in the parents shoes. Uh, if, if you've got a kid or a sibling or whatever, you know, the same age, that's going through that, you can always, always, always put yourself through that, through, through their shoes and not really feel exactly what they're feeling, but you can imagine what it would feel like. So it does make me super grateful to be living in Dubai where, you know, we don't have to worry about these kind of things, but, you know, it's still happening in the world. And, you know, there's humanitarian, like a, like a human feeling that you have for people. So yeah, man, like just, there's a lot of thoughts and prayers and there's a lot of stuff coming out now. Now, I don't know what is true and what is not, so I'm not going to kind of go into that, but there's a lot of kind of more, there's more coverage coming out about what had happened, how it happened, how it was handled from the law enforcement point of view. Um, there, I, I recently, actually this morning, saw a, I don't know what age a fourth grader is in the US, but a fourth grader that was in the school being interviewed, uh, not, not shown on camera, and actually just honestly telling his part of the story where he was there when he saw stuff happening. And I'm like, man, if it was my son on the other side that was a victim or was a witness and had to tell the story, how would that? And that just makes me feel sick to my stomach, like really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's true. Like the the ripple effect, right? Like when you say like, you could actually, you made an interesting point. It's like whether your child was the victim or a witness who, you know, will leave with trauma, they're actually both victims. And anybody, no matter where you are on the planet, if you hear news like that, and it makes you run a scenario in your mind where you lose your your daughter, your son, your nephew, your sister, your whatever, 
little homeboy kid that lives yeah. in your building. You know, if you imagine that person ending up in that situation, if you are as a result of this news, if you're forced to imagine a world where you're involved in the story, you are actually experiencing trauma because uh, you know, it's, and it's, it's, it's far removed from the real thing, but it's just extremely unfortunate. And, you know, I just think America definitely needs to do better. No country's perfect. And, you know, America's contributions can't be uh, downplayed. It's, it's a very significant part of the world. And we all enjoy a lot of liberties and freedoms, I think, and a lot of things in culture as a result of what's come from America. But, you know, is it worth it if if you've got these kind of stories happening? Probably not. So I think we just need to we need to get we need to get this kind of stuff addressed, and hopefully, uh, wiser brains will will come together and figure this out. All right, let's end up with some shout outs. And then, Raj, you've got a bunch, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I want to. Yeah, we. I want to give a shout out to Mikhail and uh, Sev for the hospitality at Old Trafford. That was a, a super dope uh, experience. Thanks for everything. Shout out to Spencer for bringing us all together. Uh, shout out to Shez for rolling with me on uh, Saturday night. And also Jit, my boy Jit came out Sunday. We hung out, had lunch, coffee. So a big shout out to him. And um, and also shout out to Russell Peters, Clayton Peters, Alan Gunn, Q, Clay, Justin, Pick, every, everybody that was rolling with them that night. Just a, a good bunch of folks. Shout out. And you know, obviously starting from scratch, all the DJs that were at the, at the jam as well afterwards. Like it was a, it was a really, really dope, really dope weekend. I, I feel extremely like grateful to be here and for all these people for like stepping in and just making sure that the vibe is good shout out to my boy Kish who I'm staying with right now and um yeah I mean I was I was in I was in a prep before this recording and on, it's so weird dude I, you know I used to go to prep every day because I used to work at uh in Houston you know with the with Surge when he had the office uh one of my friends and um and I used to go to prep like every other day you know have a coffee grab one of those like wraps or whatever like pre food and prep is wild amazing um but when i walked into prep today i was like wow like i literally said wow i was like look at all this food look how fresh it is i remember it being a lot cheaper it's definitely gone up a bit in price but that's just mm -hmm. the world that we live in today but but yeah i'm just i'm just super grateful so huge shouts to all those people what about you guys any shouts no not really from my side actually well actually i want to double down on the shout out to clay he hooked up um my two brothers for the london show russell's mm -hmm. london show last week so yeah, he sorted out our tickets and and you know let them backstage for a quick meet and greet with Russell. Russell remembered them, which was very nice. His memory is phenomenal, Russell's mm -hmm. considering the amount of people he meets. But uh, yeah, just just double down on that shout out, really. Nice, wicked. What about you, Alex? Me, yeah, I don't have any shout outs. Shout your physio. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shout out Neil Brown for getting my knee right. <laughs> right, his, his name Neil, his, Neil his Brown. Neil. There you go. <laughs> sounds we'll, sounds we'll awesome. wait for you, Alex. We'll yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. so I've got so many things when it comes to Neil Brown that uh, I can't say because the podcast is, <laughs> is going out to the public. Yeah, right, no, but no, but Alex, you got, you got you got that's his you, name. <laughs> you've you've got you've got to send it to him. Otherwise, I the will, shout out goes out to the ether. You got to send him and say, "Big up <laughs> for big him. up." Yeah, and we want, we need him on the show to validate that you actually did have a knee operation and didn't just take a month off for no um, reason. Sure. Wait, but that's wait, my 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 physio doesn't have actually no. He has the scans and the reports, but he didn't yeah. like. I can fake the scans and the reports. The surgeon's the one who knows I did the surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, we'll take it. Well, shout out to everybody <laughs> who, who's helped us out uh, this week. And um, for those who are listening, for those who are watching on Spotify and, uh, well, just if you're watching on Spotify, give us a five-star rating right now. We'd super appreciate it. It's up in the top left corner. YouTube crew, give us a subscribe. Subscribe numbers are going up. We're very grateful for that. Uh, hit the notification bell to get these episodes first and likes and comments are appreciated. Also help with the algorithm. Uh, if you want to flick Tim Cook's bean, you can do by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast and anywhere else that you listen to this podcast. But the number one thing you can do, honestly, because we are a small community that listens to this podcast, is just hit that forward button, forward it to people like us because uh, we all enjoy it. We love making it. I hope you enjoy loving uh, listening to it. And uh, that's it for this week. We will be doing one more of these remote shows next week where I'll be in yep, London still. A lot more to report. Big week coming up. And for the rest of you who are tuned in, have a great week. Talk to you soon. Peace.